0: Good morning, it is uh, great to be with you here uh, this morning and uh, it'd be great if you could open at Luke chapter 8 which we're going to be focusing on together this morning and also in your bulletin sheet you hopefully had a little uh, note sheet that I've provided for you it'd be good if you could have that to hand Uh, there's some space for some notes on one side and on the other side there's some other verses that we'll be looking at during the morning I don't know whether any of you have ridiculous conversations if you're, if you're married. I know you can have ridiculous conversations if you're not married, but um, Kim and I end up talking about some ridiculous things at times, you know, exciting things like um, uh, the latest cleaning products that are available at the supermarket, you know, really deep and meaningful things. But another one that we used to discuss uh, uh, a while ago was which of our senses would we hate to lose the most? Now, it did seem a ridiculous um, question to be discussing because there's no way you can control whether you lose any of them. But anyway, we used to debate which, w- which would be the most difficult of our senses to lose. Now, Kim uh, is an artist, so it was obvious for her because sight was absolutely crucial. Sight was the one that she would hate uh, to lose most because then you couldn't um, see anything. Uh, but for me, it was hearing. I thought that would be the worst of all senses to, to lose because then uh, you wouldn't be able to communicate with people much at all you'd be so cut off, you'd be so isolated and uh, obviously losing your sight isolates you to a degree but you'd think of the number of conversations you'd miss out on um, that, that you wouldn't be able to engage with music, radio, television or things like that uh, and I thought it would definitely be worse to um, lose uh, your sense of hearing But of course there is a great invention to help people with uh, hearing problems and that is a a hearing aid. A hearing aid amplifies the sound that is around and uh, that that can be really useful for people. But there's another facility, I do not know whether it's available here, um, but it's called an induction loop that has to work through a microphone and uh, that creates a magnetic field in a a room like that, uh, a room like this and then people with a hearing aid need to switch their hearing aid to T in order to connect, in order to pick up that magnetic signal uh, that is coming from this induction loop, and that helps them enormously. Uh, but where am I going with this? Well, the, the point is that they can, you can be wearing a hearing aid, there can be an induction loop, it can all be there, but if you don't actually switch your hearing aid to T, you don't actually get the benefits of it you don't actually hear what's going on and when it comes to our relationship with God when it comes to hearing his word when it comes to how we really listen how we really hear God's word most effectively some of us need to do what I'll call turning our hearing aids to T. like okay we, we hear God's word but there are things we can do to be able to hear it more effectively so that we can hear God's Word in a way that will really help us uh, to engage with what God is saying so that God's Word is more life-transforming, so that it changes us, uh, so that we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've read this whole long passage from verses 1 uh, through to verse 25 in Luke chapter 8. Uh, We're really going to be focusing on from verse 16 onwards. Uh, but the whole of the passage really is about how we hear God's word. Clearly the parable of the sower is, is very obviously about that. Uh, you have in the parable of the sower uh, this, this this talk about how the seed is sown and the seed is the word of God. People hear the word of God. How do they respond uh, to it? Uh, but you see for instance in, in verse 8, uh, Jesus saying at the end of verse 8, when he said this he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This was crucial, you see. Jesus was saying, listen, listen carefully. Use the ears that you've got to engage with what God is saying to you um, through me. Uh, And then when he explained the parable, he went on to say in verse 15, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word and retain it, and persevering produce a crop. But notice again that they hear the word of God. How they hear is really, really important. Jesus' emphasis is on the hearing of the word uh, of God. But then, there are three little accounts that follow. And you could think, where, where do these come from? How do they fit in? There's the occasion where... Uh, Well, first of all, where Jesus talks about a lamp and uh, the fact that nobody lights a lamp and then hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Then there's the occasion where Jesus' mother and brothers turn up uh, to speak to him. And then Jesus calms the storm. Well, the more I've looked into these passages, the the more it seems apparent to me that actually here Luke is continuing on the same theme as he's recording uh, his gospel for us he continues to talk about how we hear uh, the word of God. That's very clear in the first two sections. For instance, if you look at verse 18, uh, now it says, Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And uh, then in verse 21, he says, my, brother, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So again, it's the hearing Of God's Word uh, that Jesus is is talking about. It's the hearing that is absolutely um, crucial. So how do we actually hear God's Word better? We're here this morning. Probably many of you are here every Sunday. You're hearing God's Word. What are you going to be able to do to make yourself hear God's Word more effectively uh, so that it transforms you? Well, First of all oh, we missed that one. Uh, first of all, once you've heard, you've got to what? We'll fill that gap in in just a moment. Let's look at this first incident, this uh, occasion where Jesus is talking about a, a light, the, a lamp that is lit, and Jesus says no one uh, would then hide it in a clay jar or, or put it under a bed. Instead, he says they put it on a stand so that those who come can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will, be no, that will not be known or brought out into uh, the open. Jesus is stating here basic facts. He's saying a lamp has a purpose. The purpose of a lamp is to fill a room with light. And there's no way that you achieve that by lighting a lamp and in those days they literally had to Uh, set fire to a a piece of cloth or something that was on the end of a stick, you know, there's no batteries, you couldn't just flick a switch, nothing was plugged into electricity. So they literally lit a lamp, uh, and nobody would then, having lit that lamp, put a clay jar over it. That was the way of basically switching a light off in those days. She says, you don't achieve what you want to achieve with a lamp by putting it... um, under a clay jar, or or under a bed, or anything like that, that would be absolutely um, useless. What you do, according to verse 17, is put it on a stand so that the light of of uh, that that light would just spread throughout the whole room and benefit uh, the whole of of the room. And the basic truth Jesus is stating here is that you cannot hide anything uh, forever. Because he goes on to say in verse 17, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not uh, be known or brought out into the open. The truth always comes out. We can hide things away, we can keep our secrets for some time, but eventually they come out. You might remember that man... Uh, John Darwin from nearby Hartlepool, uh, a man who a few years ago faked his own death in a canoeing accident in 2002 so that his wife could claim the insurance money. Even their own sons believed that he uh, had actually died. But he was eventually found. Uh, He was found out in in 2007. The truth, no matter how hard you try to, to hide it, eventually comes out. And Jesus' point is that is the natural order, that is how it's supposed to be, that is the normal way of things. Light isn't hidden, truth can't be hidden. It's for getting out there and that's what happens to it. It must shine, it must be seen, it will have an impact on others. And then he explains what he's really talking about, because he's not really interested in giving people lessons about how to use their lamps, or what happens even about truth. Uh, But he speaks and, and explains what he's actually talking about in verse 18 when he says, Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. So, once you have heard... You've got to do something about it. You've got to, having received it, do something with that truth, the truth of the gospel. And what you've got to do is the same as uh, light does. Light is given out. You've got to uh, do the same as what happens always with truth. It escapes. It it reaches people. And we've got to, therefore, use what we uh, hear to tell others. Yes, it sounds a bit cryptic when Jesus says, whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have even what they think they have will be taken from them. What does he mean? Well, what he means is this. If you've really got the truth, if you've heard it and if you receive it, it will come out of you to to others. You will tell others about it. If you don't, that is proof that you never really had it in the first place. That you've not really taken it in. Because you've just kept it to yourself. And that's the proof that you've never really had it. And and what you think you have, therefore, will be taken away. Because actually you didn't really grasp the word in the first place. On the other hand, if you've really received the truth, if you've got it, uh, then you will have entered God's kingdom Uh, And you will be wanting to tell others uh, about that. You'll make the the news of Jesus loud and clear. You will be telling uh, others about Jesus, about his love, about his forgiveness, about his grace. I wonder whether you've ever wondered why you're not growing as a Christian. And maybe you've thought to yourself, well actually, uh, I need to be studying the Bible more, I need to be reading more of the Bible or reading more Christian books and more time studying and praying. And I wouldn't want to, to discourage you from that. But actually there may be something far more fundamental. Because what Jesus is saying is, in this passage is, once you've heard, there we go, once you've heard, you've got to talk. Light isn't for hiding. Light isn't for putting under a clay jar or under a bed. The truth of the Gospel isn't for keeping to yourself. It's for it's for using. And the way you use the truth of the Gospel is you spread it out to others. Yes, we need to consider carefully how we listen, and an important part of listening is actually using what we've listened to tell others. It's like the light. It's like the truth. It's got to get out there. And so very strangely maybe to our thinking, One of the key things to learn about how we listen with our ears is that we then use what we've learned to speak to others. So effective listening to God, really listening to his word, really benefiting from what we hear uh, from the Bible, will be helped by us actually talking about what we hear. So that we tell others, so that we spread uh, the good news. And again, that that describes pretty much a a normal process of life, isn't it? Doesn't it? That things that you don't use, you will lose. Uh, Many years ago, I graduated in maths. Uh, That was many years ago, 1985, I graduated with a maths degree. And the only thing I kept from my maths degree uh, was was, was my notes from my final year because I thought to myself, it will come a day when I cannot believe I ever did that. Or ever understood it. And it it is absolutely true. I'm not sure I could pass A-level maths now. It's all got rusty because I don't use it anymore. What we don't use, we tend to lose. Conversely, the more you use something, the more you develop. Look at athletes. Why are athletes looking so strong and muscly? It's because they use their muscles. They develop them and therefore they become stronger. You don't Uh, become stronger by just wishing you'd become stronger. You have to actually exercise your muscles. You have to get out there. You have to work. And then you become stronger. And when we receive God's truth, we need to use it. And we use it by talking to others, by telling others about the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. If you really want to effectively hear uh, the Word of God uh, then you've got to not only hear, but talk. Once you've heard, you've got to talk. But then let's move on to the second incident, which leaves us, leads us to another area of once you've heard, you've got to something. We'll, we'll see what that detail is in a minute. The second little incident is, a, is concerning Jesus' family. Uh, Jesus is busy talking. Uh, he's got a meeting. It's a bit like a conference, really, because there's, there's a huge crowd there. We know that because when Jesus' mother and brothers turn up, they can't even reach him. There's such a, a crowd in the room uh, that, that they can't even get in to speak uh, to him. Now, there they are. Uh, what are they doing? What, what are they going to do about this problem? They're, they're stuck. Well, uh, families do have a bit of a... Uh, of a way of, of embarrassing people don't they you know you'd think maybe they would just wait until the end of the meeting but no oh no that that wouldn't do their family they have immediate rights they think to speak to Jesus uh, and so because they can't get themselves to see Jesus because of the crowd uh, they tap a steward on the shoulder one of these guys in a high-vis jacket uh, and say hey uh, we want to speak to Jesus tell him is." His mother and brothers are here. We, we want a word uh, with him. And so one of these stewards makes his way through the crowd in order to speak uh, to Jesus. And the message comes in verse 20. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Imagine the scene. It's like somebody tapping me on the shoulders. I'm talking to you and say, Hey, your mum's outside. She wants a word with you. Well, you know, mum, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Just wait your turn. But Jesus, rather than glowing red with embarrassment, which is probably what I would do on such an occasion, instead of that, he takes it as a great opportunity to say more about hearing the Word of God. Uh, look at verse 21. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's Word and put it into practice. So rather than deal with the situation in front of him when's he going to speak to uh, his mother and brothers he takes this event and makes a a spiritual point out of it and say look those people who are really close to me and he's not rejecting his family he's just making a, a good point out of it those who are really close to me those who really belong to me are those who hear God's word and put it into practice That is the vital thing that Jesus is is teaching here. And so what we see, secondly, is that once you've heard, you've got to obey. That obeying is a way of hearing. Obeying God's Word is a way of hearing more effectively. Obeying God's Word is a way of making sure that the Word of God isn't like water off a duck's back to you. You hear it, but no change. For change to take place, you've got to hear it. You've got to, as we've already seen, talk about it. But also you've got to uh, obey it. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Now he's made this uh, same point uh, in the parable of the two houses, the two foundations, the uh, or the wise and foolish men. Do you know that from uh, back in chapter 6? You see the um, key verses here on the note sheet that I've given to you. Uh, you remember the two uh, men, one wise, one foolish, both wanted a house, uh, one built on solid ground, good foundation, one built on sand. When the storm came, it's obvious which one stood. It's obvious which one just collapsed to the ground. And when Jesus applied, when Jesus explained that parable, he said in Luke 6:47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words... Uh, my words, and does them, I will show you what he is like. That's that's what the wise man is like. He's not like somebody who just hears God's word. There's lots of people who just hear God's words. But the wise man, Jesus says, is like the person who hears them and does them. I wonder if you're here this morning with an intention in your heart to hear and to do. You're hearing, but will you do? Will you respond? And that's what God is always calling us to do. When he talks about the foolish man in verse 49, he says, But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. The foolish person is like the person who hears but takes no notice. How often are we foolish when it comes to the word of God? We hear what he is saying. We hear God's word read. We hear God's word preached. And yet we take no notice. Life doesn't change as a result of it. And that is a real shame. It's, It's a waste. The difference is not in our hearing, but in our doing. It was the same with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They heard the command... Uh, that they should not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they didn't do it. Tragedy has ensued ever since. do you find it's exactly the same with your children? They can hear what you tell them to do or you tell them not to do. But that isn't where it ends in terms of what you want for them. You want them to do what you've said, don't you? You want them to respond, you want them to really listen, not just hear, but really listen. So that they actually respond, so that they obey your word. It's the same with instructions on how to bake bread or construct a a flat pack uh, bed or table or anything else. We can see instructions, we can know them, but we actually have to do them. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. It's a very lengthy psalm. It's the longest psalm that we have in the Bible. It's all about the Word of God and it begins with these five verses. And notice how often in these five verses the stress is actually on what we do with God's Word, how we respond to God's Word. It says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, all that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. God isn't interested in us just hearing, reading, knowing his word. He wants us to respond. He wants our lives to be changed. He wants us, when we hear, to obey. To do anything less is insulting to God. It really is insulting. I don't know whether you have uh, watched the episode of The Simpsons when um, uh, Homer uh, buys Marge a birthday present. The thing is, he buys her a bowling ball for 10-pin bowling. Uh, The thing is, she doesn't play. She's never played. She hates bowling. And she is massively insulted by it. Because it just shows that he has not respected her. Because he hasn't listened. He hasn't taken any notice. He hasn't responded to her. Made all the worse by, of course, the fact that he's had his own name inscribed on the board, Because really, he knows who's going to be playing with it in the end. But it's disrespectful, isn't it? To not really listen. To not take in. To not respond to what somebody close to you is saying. And it is the same with God. It is disrespectful to God to be hearing what he's saying and yet doing nothing uh, about it. That is an absolute uh, tragedy. But what God wants us to do when we come to his word is turn our hearing aids to T. He wants us to hear and obey. Because when we obey, we actually hear better. Notice this other verse from Psalm 119. who said earlier, uh, we, we maybe struggle with the fact that we don't understand God's word well enough and we, we, we may be concerned that we're not growing as Christians well enough. And uh, Actually, it's not all about studying more. It's about the fact that we need to talk to others about Jesus. We need to spread the good news and that will help us uh, in hearing God's word. But here it emphasizes that actually our obedience helps us to understand God's Word better. Psalm 119, verse 100. David writes, I understand more than the aged." So he's looking at people who are a lot older than him, a lot more mature, they've had a lot more time to learn, to understand, to grasp the truths about God. But he says, does it sound a little bit arrogant to begin with? I understand more than all the aged. Why does he understand more than all the aged? For I keep your precepts. He says, I understand better because I'm responding to your word. I am keeping your word. I am doing what you are saying. So, if you're going to switch your hearing A to T to really effectively hear the word of God, once you've heard, you've got to obey. And that will help you in your hearing in the future. Let's move on to the third area. Uh, Once you've heard, you've got to what? Well, we'll fill that gap in in just a moment or two uh, as well. We come to the third little incident following Jesus' parable of the sower talking about the word of God. And it's actually the first of three miracles that follow. They take us through to the end of chapter 8. You have the calming of the storm, the restoring of a demon-possessed man, Uh, And a dead girl raised to life. Each of them showing to us the power of the Lord Jesus over nature, illness and death. They're very important. And you could come to this miracle and see this almost as a new start, a new chapter as it were in, in Luke's writing. I've looked at this more carefully, it seems to me that, that this miracle is a bit of a hinge rather than a new start. A hinge turns something from one direction to another, doesn't it? And, and here I think Luke is using this miracle, the calming of the storm, as a bit of a, a, of a hinge point, a turning point, to, to shift the focus. So yes, it is moving to, to show us Jesus' power over nature, illness and death, But it's still actually talking about how we hear uh, the word of God. It's a transition. Why? Well, let's look at the incident. There was a terrible storm across the Sea of Galilee. The Galilee was situated uh, very low down. There were mountains around it. Cold seas could come off the nearby Mediterranean Sea they would hit the mountains come down uh, into the Sea of Galilee and Galilee was therefore known as a lake that could frequently have the most horrendous storms they could almost come from nowhere you had very little warning and and they could be really really uh, difficult now this storm came and it was so bad that Jesus' disciples feared that they were actually uh, going to die in this storm now that's saying something when several of Jesus' disciples had spent years working on the sea. They were fishermen, professional fishermen. None of this kind of rod business sat at the end of a, uh, the side of a river. But these were men who took out boats with nets out into the sea. Undoubtedly they would have been caught in many storms in the past. And they knew how to handle them. They knew how to keep the boat safe in such times. But they were really scared. They feared it was curtains for them. Look at verse 24, the disciples went to Jesus who by this time is asleep in the back of the boat and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. That's how scared they are. But then we really got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Now, if all that was about was Jesus demonstrating his power over nature, the account could end there, but it doesn't. Jesus then spoke to his disciples, and what did he say? He said, where is your faith? He is, shall we say, disappointed. Disappointed. That they were so scared. Why didn't they trust him? Why didn't they believe in him? And you could say, well, I'd side with the disciples. You know, they were in a pretty uh, scary situation. Uh, I would have felt like they felt. But hang on a minute. What is he saying? He's saying to them, you are not showing the very thing that you ought to have. You ought to have faith. Why had they ought to have faith? Well, actually, because they had heard... And seen so much of Jesus's power uh, in the in in previous events that they should have been able to trust him. What had they heard? Well, if you were to just flip back over the previous chapter, you'd see a few things in chapter seven. They'd heard Jesus forgive. On the sheet, you see Luke 7:48. There's a woman who came to Jesus, and in verse 48, he said to her, "Your sins." are forgiven. Wow, Jesus can forgive sins. People had previously said, as you can see in Luke 5, uh, 21, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right in their thought that only God can forgive sins. They were wrong in assuming that Jesus was not God. So when on, an, on this other occasion, in Luke 7, when a, a woman comes to Jesus and he forgives her, he's making an explicit claim to be God. Because only God can forgive sins. So they've heard that. They've heard the claim of Jesus. To be able to do what only God can do. Therefore they've heard the claim of Jesus that he's actually God. They should trust him. In Luke 7, verses 14 to 51, that they had heard, or they rather they'd seen Jesus raise a dead man, but how had he done it? By a word. They'd heard that word. So in verses fourteen and fifteen, we read, Then he came up and, and touched the beer, that's basically a coffin, and the bearer stood still. And he said. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. It was just by a word that Jesus was able to raise a dead man back to life. And the disciples had heard that word. And they'd seen the power of that word. They'd seen what Jesus could do with his word. Therefore, they should trust him. And then there'd been the healing of the centurion's servant who was nearly dead. And the centurion had said to Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. I don't deserve to have you come in. Uh, And he says in verse 7 of Luke 7, therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. The centurion knew that Jesus only needed to speak and his servant would be healed. Therefore, the power is in Jesus' word. And again, the disciples had heard all of that. Therefore, they should trust Him. The thread is, through this previous chapter, Jesus did an amazing thing and He did it by His Word. He spoke and it was done. And again, here, in chapter 8, when the storm is terrible on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus speaks, He speaks and rebukes the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsides and all was calm. They shouldn't have been worried. They should have trusted. And so what we're seeing finally is, if you want to really hear the word of God, if you want to hear it effectively, if you want to hear it so that the word of God will have transforming power over your life, once you've heard it, you've got to believe. You've got to trust. You've got to believe that Jesus will do all that he has said. It's not right if you don't. If you don't believe, you are mistrusting Jesus. You're basically saying he's a liar, that his word cannot be trusted. To not trust, to not believe, is insulting to Jesus. You say, oh, but I struggle, do you? you struggle because you don't trust Jesus and that is insulting to Jesus. Uh, compare it with this. Two people get married. They love each other. For six months they put all their energies into into arranging this most glorious day that they'll spend together. Uh, and, and the centrepiece of that day will be their vows. Where they exchange vows, they make promises, commitments to one another. Can you imagine the next day having spent the night together uh, the husband, perhaps, they're staying in a hotel, uh, goes down into another part of the hotel for half an hour, comes back and his wife is saying to him, what have you done? Who have you been speaking to? Have been chatting to that waitress or something? Now that would be insulting to him, wouldn't it? You know, that, that these two people have made commitments to one another that are so quickly doubted? That is insulting. We need to believe Jesus has spoken. We can trust Him. He's never failed to keep His Word. We've seen examples today of all that He can do. And if you want to really make sure that God's Word makes an impact on your life, you've got to hear it and you've got to believe it. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it says things that you're struggling with, that you don't understand. But trust it anyway. Trust that Jesus knows best. Trust that God will never fail. And in fact, actually trusting the Word of God will lead you to a better understanding of the Word of God. So trust when you struggle to understand, and trusting will help you to understand. Have a look at Hebrews 11 and verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There's a statement of the Bible that says if we trust God, that He and His creative power made this world, then we'll understand that. We'll understand it better. And so it applies to to all of our response to, to the Word of God. So, will you turn your hearing A to T so that you really hear? So that you don't just listen. So that you don't just kind of hear sermons, hear preaching, get the Word and critique it and pull it apart but take it away and do nothing with it? Do you want to really hear God's Word so that your life will be changed? Well, when you hear, don't just hear. When you hear, make sure that you're ready to talk, to tell others the good news about Jesus. Make sure that when you hear, you're really ready to obey, even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when you don't understand why God wants you to do a certain thing, be ready, make it a commitment of your heart before you even hear that you're going to obey what God says. And thirdly, make sure that when you hear, you really hear in a way that you will believe, that you will trust, that you will take Jesus at his word, because then the word of God will have power in our lives to transform us, to make us more like Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you are the communicating God, the God who speaks. We thank you for the privileges that we have as people here today to hear your word. Maybe for the first time, maybe we've been hearing your word for 50 years or more. But Lord, it's a great privilege. But we admit, we are saddened, Lord by the fact that actually our lives have not been transformed anywhere near as much as they should have been by now. We want to change more. We want to be more like Christ. And so we pray, Father, that you'd help us to come to your Word with a readiness to talk, a readiness to obey, and a readiness to believe. Lord, help us to have that this morning, that our lives, even today, even this afternoon, might be changed by the power of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.